Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, which, by the way, I like to remind people it's much more than a daily report. It, it really is a knowledge platform, and from which, of course, we communicate <coughs> thought leadership on various strategic topics through our reports, yes, but also these podcasts, which we do weekly, webinars, and live events if <laughs> we ever get back to them. So anyway, along with our chief strategist, Shelly Cohan, who is a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, uh, we welcome you to our weekly podcast. And today's topic is a Nordstrom spinoff surprise. <laughs> Shelly, I was really totally surprised, kind of taken back by Nordstrom's announcement uh, that they were considering a quote-unquote spinoff of their rack off-price brand. Not because it's not the spinoff of their e-commerce, <clears throat> which Saks, as you know, has done, and followed by Macy's and Kohl's analyzing, doing the same thing. But, but more surprising to me is the potential spinoff of the rack. As recently as March of this year, I wrote an article titled Nordstrom's New Game Plan, which was announced in an analyst meeting. By the way, listeners, you can go to our site and key Nordstrom's new game plan. Essentially, here's what they said. Nordstrom has launched a new campaign, quote unquote, closer to you. It is a brand promise that literally and symbolically informs and describes a recalibration of Nordstrom's operations. This includes store locations, number of stores, and in parentheses, both rack and full line, a seamlessly integrated omni-channel ecosystem, the Nordstrom local strategy of synergies with online, listen to this, full line and rack stores and platform sharing uh, through concession agreements with brands, both online and off. So note, Shelley, <laughs> in that announcement, Rack was a full-on integrated part of their strategy. That's and now looking to spin it off or more or less splitting it into a separate unit. I mean, it just surprised the heck out of me. So Shelley, in a few short months, a complete reversal of Nordstrom's announcement at that meeting. So yes, a big surprise. And a big why. We know why the e-com spinoffs of Saks and maybe Macy's and Kohl's, the why being <laughs> short-term financial engineering to increase the stock price, the market value by so-called, I love this quote, <laughs> unlocking value, unlocking a huge multiple of value from the e-commerce business currently hidden under the total of the combined businesses. But Nordstrom spin off the rack, it's puzzling. And listen to Eric, CEO Eric Nordstrom's comment shortly before this new analysis uh, with Alex Partners was announced. He said, the value of our interconnected model is evident as consumers, as customers dramatically increase their spend when engaging across multiple channels banners and services, he said. For example, 
the average customer that shops across both banners in store and online spends over 12 times more than a customer utilizing a single channel. And now, listen, Eric, when announcing the analysis, we are not satisfied at all with our rack business. As clearly, our recovery is lagging what we think it should be. Shelly, wow, a very short time between those two statements. So let me give just a bit of background for this uh, surprising statement. Since its inception in 1973, as an early, I say, faux off-pricer, unlike the real deal being TJX and Burlington and Ross, <clears throat> the rack was a big hit, and it soon became a larger growth driver than the full-line business. The rack strategy and rack's faster growth raised the question, and I asked this a few times, when does the rack cannibalize the brand name Nordstrom? Nordstrom's position on that was, they believed, younger people who were shopping the rack like crazy would eventually graduate to the full-line Nordstrom stores. <clears throat> that may have happened for a while. But going into the last half of 2020, there were roughly 116 full-line stores, 16 of which they were planning on closing. Rack, on the other hand, Shelley, had roughly 248 stores, more than twice as many as Nordstrom. But get this, Shelley, and, and maybe the reason, and maybe this is the reason for Eric's negative comment, the, the rack took a much bigger hit during the pandemic. In the third quarter, sales fell by 8% versus the same period in 2019, while Nordstrom full-line stores rose 3%. And that's not so great, by the way. But hear this, on who the rack would call their competitors. On the same year-over-year -year basis, same store sales rose 14% at both TJX and Ross stores, and 16% at Burlington. So Shelly, <laughs> with this background, um, it's really a perfect point for you to jump in because given your real on-the-ground experience in retail with many of the majors, Macy's, Bloomingdale's, and I think another couple of them, I, use, I did use the word faux off-pricer earlier <clears throat> describing the rack, meaning they were not real off-pricers. And you know better than I what the difference is and why the distinction may very well be one of the reasons the rack is in trouble. So, so please enlighten us. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for a great setup on that, Robin. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. Off price and quote unquote outlet retail models are very quite different in terms of how merchandise is procured. So, for example, in the off-price world, merchandise is purchased from designers, brands, and usually high-end retailers, oftentimes through jobbers. The merchandise is from previous seasons, overruns of products that didn't sell, or overruns of you know, excess inventory. So, typically, off-price retail stores would be, the epitome would be TJ Maxx and Ross, and of course, Burlington. And of course, Century 21, which is a beloved brand that went bankrupt, unfortunately, uh, at the end of the pandemic there. 
And I only bring up Century 21 because it was the only department store layout and size, but with off-price product offerings. So probably a bit confusing for the customer and perhaps the ultimate demise of that brand. So outlet stores, so if you look at Bloomingdale's and you look at Off Fifth, these would be example of outlet stores along with other store brands, especially brands like Calvin Klein, Polo, Brooks Brothers, Under Armour, Nike, you know, everyone has an outlet store now. But much of that merchandise in these outlet stores is really procured as first run goods. So north of 80% of the goods in a so-called outlet store have never seen a full price line store. Much of the merchandise is specifically manufactured for the outlet store. For example, Michael Kors works with Saks Fifth Avenue to develop a line for the outlet stores. Or Calvin Klein's store assortment at Bloomingdale's outlet store is designed specifically for the outlet division. Uggs would be another example. So the quality of raw, raw materials, the design are at levels that support that off-price pricing model. And, you know, consumers five, 10 years ago probably were not aware in the differences, nor were they aware that the product in an outlet store is not actually from the full price counterpart. And of course, Macy's jumped into the outlet bandwagon recently in 2017 when they opened their version called Backstage. Yeah, which they're, <laughs> they're also calling it off price, which, as you just pointed out, it's not. Anyway, thanks for that tutorial. And to add to your distinction, Shelley, Bob, Eric Nordstrom was also quoted as saying, Rack's inventories have been significantly underplanned, and in particular, short on the premium brands that he described as the juice that gets customers excited to come to the rack. There, that, that says a lot. And it really yeah, that's, kind of, what, that's what drives that shopper to the rack is yep. those premium brands for sure. Yep. And it, 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 just, it just clarifies what you laid out. Anyway, he went on to say that procuring 90% of the top brands sold at Nordstrom for rack also creates a huge challenge for the chain. He said, quote, off-price procurement of the same top brands we carry at Nordstrom's full-line store is particularly difficult in an environment with production constraints and lower levels of clearance product. So in other words, he's talking about the difficulty of taking those, those major designer brands and so forth and so on and, and putting them into uh, uh, the rack. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's, let's look at some of those inventories across the off-price world, because what Eric is saying is right on point. So if you look back to the pandemic year 2020, many off-price stores had huge inventory problems, not to mention their physical stores were also closed, um, and so was Nordstrom's Rack. But inventory last year during the pandemic was down between 11 and 18% for the off-price stores, and Nordstrom's was down 3%. Of course, I can't get the inventory numbers by Nordstrom's and Rack separately, but overall, the inventory for Nordstrom's was down 3%. So obviously, Nordstrom's was better, in better shape in terms of inventory uh, due to the full-line stores. 
But when we look at inventories this year in 2021, specifically coming out of Q3, so Q3 ended October 2021, when we look at inventory compared to last year, you know, it's 33 to 37% higher for TJ Maxx and Ross. And Nordstrom's Q3 showed a 54% increase in more inventory when you compare it to the pandemic year. And, you know, there were issues with inventory last year for a variety of reasons. This year, inventory is generally for off price has been strong. So, and sales is another indicator that the business in off price is healthy in general and serving the consumer demand. Nine months ending October 2021, TJ Maxx sales are up 64%, Ross is up 68%. If you compare those numbers to 2019, because we want to compare those numbers to the most normal year before the pandemic, Ross is up 20%, and you know, TJ Maxx is up 18%. If you look at Nordstrom's rack, however, year to date through October, they're up 51% compared to the pandemic year, but they're still behind, as you mentioned, from 2019. Year to date, the rack sales for the nine months this year, they're down 10%. So, you know, Nordstrom should really integrate the buying strategies between rack and Nordstrom's full line. You know, they have such strong vendor partners with the best brands in the world. Why not benefit from those relationships and become the partner that helps with the liquidation of excess goods from those premium brands. I think a bigger problem from Nordstrom's with premium brands is merchandising the off-price goods online, which creates all kinds of issues. You know, while digital sales are low, it's only 16% of the rack sales. Um, the bigger issue is having these premium goods discounted online. It's like a catch-22, Robin. You want to showcase the premium brands that you have, but at the same time, vendors may not sell to you showcasing the premium brands at a discount. You are right on with that last point, Shelley. And, you know, Eric kind of said that in his quote, uh, but not as clearly as you said it. Anyway, uh, Simeon, Simeon Siegel at BMO Capital Markets uh, told Business Insider that he believes brands would rather sell to an off-pricer such as TJX with minimal e-commerce presence because their product can't easily be found online. He further believes Nordstrom's overall margin dynamics are impacted by rack ownership. He said, quote, it's hard to operate as an off-price unless the company is strictly focused on off-price buying, which of course is what you were, you were talking about, clarify. Uh, TJ Maxx doesn't, this is a great line, TJ Maxx doesn't sell cheap clothing, they sell expensive clothing cheap. And that's pretty much what you were saying. So, Shelley, can you uh, expand a little bit on this point? And uh, as a part of it, uh, you and I had discussed their intent to go to a 30% concession model with their brands. And I don't see how they can do the same thing with those high-end brands into the rack stores. So maybe you can explain all this and maybe the concession part first. Yeah, I mean, the concession model certainly makes sense in the full line stores. It makes zero sense in the um, off-price 
rack stores. But, you know, for the full line stores, the amount of inventory holdings that is required from a department store is so high by having these concessions, you're kind of sharing in the business, you know, model from an inventory staffing and marketing perspective. It's a win for both retailers and brands. And also the vendors are in control of branding, which is essential for those premium brands. So continued collaborations of product assortments will also be key for the full line stores. Um, And it's what keeps the Nordy customer loyal. Unique merchandise for sure keeps customers coming back. You know, with that said, since Nordstrom's has the relationship with all these great brands, they should create a better integrated model with vendors for the rack model. And you know, it may not include online, right? So instead of hiring consultants, maybe Nordstrom should create a vendor consortium about liquidating premium goods. I'm sure you remember a few years ago, Burberry was burning excess stock, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> there's there's got to be a way for premium brands to sustainably liquidate stock without distorting the brand image. And Nordstrom's is the perfect partner to figure this out. The other major problem with the current Nordstrom rack model is something, Robin, you had alluded to earlier. You know, the store count, of, you know, as of January 2021, You had mentioned these numbers, 114 Nordstrom stores and 244 rack stores. The expansion of off-price means more product needs to be procured. Hence, where's the inventory going to be coming from? If you have more rack stores than full-line stores, where's the product feeding from? (laughs) Exactly, Shelly. And if they do spin off the rack, who's going to run it? And it seems to me that just as Eric said, it's a challenge to get their designer level brands to agree to be put in the rack stores. I mean, the challenge would just be worse, right? Right. Well, I'm going to mention one last thing. I'll make one last comment about the future of off-price inventories. They're going to get a lot slimmer. So think about yeah. this, Robin. Retailers are editing their assortments. They're using near real-time assortment allocation tools. They're using planning software with artificial intelligence And there's companies like First Insights that help tailor assortments to hit it right more often. So all these initiatives are going to lead to less inventory overages for the off-price markets. In other words, the right product in the right time at the right place, if you do that more accurately, consistently over time, there becomes less inventory at the end of the season. So that's a good thing for retailers, but maybe not so much for the off-price retailers. The benefit to TJ Maxx and to Ross, of course, is they procure merchandise from many different brands, many different avenues. And Nordstrom's is relying on its own brands and full-line inventories. Yeah, just one side comment, Shelley, which you and I have talked about, and which I'm sure we're going to be having subsequent podcasts about. This all goes back to the supply chain and how the supply chain across the boards is going to have to become much more integrated, much more close to the consumer. And we're going to be seeing, and a lot of this is, is they have the ability to do this through technology, AI and so forth, and just the stuff you were talking about. So it's going to be lean inventory, but but the right product, the right time, the right place. Anyway, I think as a closing, (laughs) I want to quote, our good friend, Mark Cohen, uh, 
who is the director of retail studies at Columbia University's Graduate School of Business, who said he's not surprised by the rumor of, of um, Nordstrom and Alex partners doing this analysis. Here's what Mark says. <clears throat> if they're going to bet on the future, my guess is they're going to bet on the flagship, not on the rack. And the rack may be out of gas. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> way to put it. One of the problems they're having, and everyone else in the world is having, is nobody knows what the future is going to hold for the next two or three years. We're at a crisis that is not like anything we've ever experienced before in the manner in which it's changing consumer behavior. I think this is scaring the hell out of people, and it should. Anyway, I think that's a good closing comment. It's, these are some stark issues that we're dealing with. And um, what, Shelley, you and I are not running out of topics. <laughs> no, certainly not. Um, and I, I just want to end with one thing. And, you know, Eric Nordstrom was right when he said the value of the interconnected model is evident as customers dramatically increase their spend when engaging across multiple channels, banners, and service. I just can't get out of this idea yeah. of separation. It's the integrated model that the consumer really responds to. So totally agree. For our listeners, you can find more of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And once again, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. And um, I always leave this message. If any of you out there have topics that you would like Shelly and I to, uh, you know, do a lot of research on and, and come on a podcast with and, and discuss, please email me at robin at therobinreport.com. Thanks again. <laughs>